0: What a great morning. I think it's Psalm 118, you know, this is the Lord, the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What I'd like to do for a couple moments, uh, don't take couple literally, (laughs) what I'd like to do for a couple moments is to speak with you about some lessons that we can take into our lives from what we've experienced Um, here, and not just, um, when I say experienced, I mean what we've experienced in our prayers and and, uh, for Andrew and Noreen, and in the release of Andrew and Noreen from captivity by God's great hand, Uh, what are some lessons we take from this experience as the Word of God shines light on what has happened? That's really my focus, some lessons, three, that we can take with us. Now, to help us do that, I want to read two passages of Scripture. They're actually from 1 Corinthians. They're the two passages in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul addresses the Lord's Supper. And this may be a surprise to some of you. Some of you may already know this, but assuming that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in about A.D. 52, A.D. 53, A.D. 54, his accounts then of the Lord's Supper are the earliest written accounts that we have. In other words, most scholars believe the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, none of them had been written at that point. And, of course, you know, they refer to the supper, certainly Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And so uh, the point is that this is actually the earliest testimony we have to the supper, and it has really shaped our understanding um, of the supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul begins, Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And here's the point I want to make. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving? Now that in Greek is the word Eucharistia. What do we what do we get? What word do we get from Eucharistia? Eucharist is one of the names of the Lord's Supper. Um, and it comes from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks? Again, Eucharist. Is it not a participation? Is it not a koinonia? Is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation. Other translations, communion. Because the word is koinonia. It is communion in the body of Christ. And here is the origin for our our reference to the supper as communion, as well as to the Eucharist. Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, and we all share one loaf. And then in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, just after referring to the meal in uh, verse 20 as the Lord's Supper, we find that name for the meal in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul continues and he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, in remembering, you're testifying. Now, I just read these verses to underscore that this meal before us that we're going to be taking momentarily is known appropriately and biblically as the Eucharist or Thanksgiving, as communion or the fellowship with God, as the Lord's Supper, and it is also described very often as a memorial because Jesus' words do this in remembrance of me. And what I want to underscore with you today is that there are these four ideas of the Thanksgiving, of uh, fellowship with, uh, with God, of the uh, the act, the event, the gift, the feast—calling this um, the meal—and and of um, and, uh, understanding this as a memorial. These four ideas go together throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the people of Israel either voluntarily or you know they initiated. Or they very willingly and happily, under god's command, either way, instituted all sorts of memorials, as um, Terence was pointing out, all kinds of memorials of god's saving acts in israel's behalf, and there were Memorial feasts, and there were memorial days like Passover and tabernacles. There were memorial stones and heaps of stones like Ebenezer. There were memorial gifts, memorial offerings, memorial songs. There were memorial prayers. There was memorial worship. And all these memorials existed as occasions to give thanks to God for what he had done. To remind the people also of what he could do still in their day. He does not change. And to draw them near this great and holy, mighty and righteous God and away from the idolatries and the lies and the falsehoods about God that are perpetrated throughout the world. So it was common. Living this way was common. It wasn't extraordinary. To have these memorials, to memorialize, to be memorializers as God's people. Well... As I said, I'd like to draw to you for use three lessons from what we've observed, what we've experienced in light of the revelation that God sheds on all of life. And I just want to make the three, and here's the first point very simple to remember. If something's worth asking God for repeatedly, it's worth thanking God for repeatedly when you receive it. If something's worth asking God for repeatedly, it's worth thanking God repeatedly when you receive it. And what urgency we did feel in asking the Lord to free Andrew from prison and to bring Andrew and Noreen home. It's like the urgency that Moses felt when he was pleading with God to deliver the children of Israel. And why did we feel that deep urgency? We felt it because we identified with Andrew personally. So we identified with his Suffering. It wasn't difficult for us to imagine uh, what he was going through, because he knew we knew who he was. But that urgency, that urgency, then wasn't exhausted, was it? In a single prayer at all? We we kept praying. You know, we kept praying like that unfortunate widow in Luke eighteen and the uh, in the parable. I think it's Luke eighteen who kept pleading for justice before an unjust judge. Kept pleading and pleading for justice before an unjust judge until finally the unjust judge said, okay, just to get rid of her, I'm going to give her what she asked for. Jesus closed out that parable by admonishing his disciples that God is just. And when we truly believe in him, we will pray persistently to him who is just for justice. Which is what he looks to us to do. To stand in the face of injustice and the skepticism of this world and pray. Why? Because God is just and he answers prayer. Yet when he does answer the prayer, what next? And the urgency that drove us to pray as we did should be met with an urgency to give thanks. It's not because our skin is any longer at stake or the skin of someone we love, but because of our commitment to honor God for what He has done. He must be praised. Someone has to praise Him. He's so worthy. It has to be said what he's done. The urgency to thank him comes from the debt of gratitude that is due to him. And those who love him joyfully feel that debt because we love him. We feel it. It's an honor that's due to him. It's due to him and we can give it to him, so we will. It's not at all like God saying to us, now pay up praise me, stroke my narcissistic nature. But it is our hearts that cry out, give to God the honor of our joy that's due to his name. Celebrate with God in his presence what he's done. That's the way people who love God think. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, Paul wrote, What thanks can we render to God for you? He's talking to the Christians at Thessalonica. He says, What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? In other words, what he's saying is, What thanks is adequate? What thanks is sufficient? What thanks is ever enough? And we ask that question. I hope you ask that question of yourself. What thanks is ever enough? for God having created me, created me, so I exist, for giving me this amazing world to live in, for sustaining me and enabling me to thrive in spite of my weaknesses and sinfulness, for reconciling me to himself at such a terrible price, for my dear Savior Christ, for eternal life. What thanks is ever enough? You've asked the question very directly. What thanks is sufficient to God for delivering Andrew and Noreen from a vicious persecution? And if you ask them, they will tell you. They will tell you that if nothing else, that if for no other reason, they now have the joy of thanking God forever, for the single act of mercy. See, long after, long after the relief of the crisis is over, the gratitude remains. I understand it's common. I mean, emotionally, we may feel a far greater... Urgency to ask God in the midst of crisis than to thank God after the crisis is lifted. But think with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment about people who love you most in the world. Is that how you relate to them? I mean, in a deep love relationship, far more thanks is given than requests being made. And often we return to things the one who loves us has already done for us or given to us. We return to them, although we've already thanked them for those things. We return and thank them again because it was for love that they gave them, and that experience of being so loved actually outlasts the act or the thing that is given. This is our relationship. This is our relationship with God, truly. Maybe I should have put my first point this way. If something is worth asking God for repeatedly, he is worth thanking repeatedly for it. Let me my second comment, a second takeaway for us in lesson. Thanksgiving delayed is Thanksgiving denied. We forget so easily, don't we? I mean, honestly. Run to that next fear, the next crisis, the next danger so quickly, as long as soon as that previous one has just been the one that was consuming us, so we couldn't get it out of our head, it's suddenly gone. And we are so, and this is just being honest, we are so prone to ingratitude. But I assure you of this, and you know it, that when we do take time to memorialize what God has done, and to celebrate His goodness, and to give Him thanks, the one thing you can be sure of is those next problems will still be there for you to worry about. you got plenty of time. If I read Romans 1 correctly, Paul teaches us that our sin, and especially in particular our idolatries, our false ideas, our false notions about God are grounded in ingratitude. He wrote, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed wisdom, they really were foolish because they had exchanged the glory of the eternal, everlasting God for lesser things, for images made to look like human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Indeed. Beware of ingratitude as well. Sort of the converse of the first point. The truth is, think with me about this, that it is as much in our nature to be ungrateful as it is to be lustful or proud or anything else. And ingratitude is not a failure. It is not the failure to feel thankful. It is the failure to express thanks. I'd argue that when we feel grateful for something but do not express our thanks to God, I could argue that our sin is greater than if we had felt nothing at all because we really are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Your people say, I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. But To whom? To whom? To whom? Who deserves that thanks? You haven't closed the loop on what God has done. He's done what he's done for you to draw him to yourself, to draw your attention to him from whom all blessings flow. You have to be careful, because without giving thanks, we become presumptuous, and presumption leads to idolatry. Let me say something. We, we have many more reasons to give thanks to God than we do to ask him for things. Do you agree with me? We have more reasons to thank God than we do to ask him for things. You know, every Thanksgiving we have a Thanksgiving Day service and we ask the question, what have you been thankful for? Have you ever been asked what you're thankful for and responded with silence? Or, you know, you you felt caught off guard. Well, I I don't know. I've really got to think about it. Or, you know, I'm struggling to come up with something. Or or you come up with something lame and you say, I'm just not going to even say that because it doesn't pass the straight face test. You know what the problem is? The problem is we lack imagination. We lack imagination. I was just reading Hugh Ross's new book on, uh, in regard to defense of the faith and the gospel. As you know, he's a physicist or astrophysicist. He's some sort of physicist. And I was reading his book, and I was just thinking about what a miracle it is, because he was pointing it out, what a miracle it is that the moon is the size that it is the distance it is from the earth. What if it wasn't? You know what? We wouldn't exist. Imagine that. Our planet's a giant magnet. Imagine if it weren't. We'd be so bombarded by cosmetic, uh, cosmic radiation. We couldn't exist. Imagine it. Our, our earth is comprised of just .03%. That's three hundredths of one percent what do you think I'm going to say? Water. Just 300 to 1% of the mass of this earth is water. Imagine if it was just 0.06%. We wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist. And I'm saying our, our uh, failure in gratitude is often due to just a lack of Imagination. Thanksgiving delayed is really Thanksgiving denied. It does breed presumption, I think. So I'm not going to go on. Don't get me started about the nature of the sun. Don't get me started about how happy I am that I have opposable thumbs. I mean, my friends, I'm telling you, we have endless reasons to give thanks to God. Thirdly and finally, I think another takeaway for us is that the Lord calls each of you Memorialize the works of God in your own life. He calls each of you to be your own psalmist. Write your psalms, create your music, invite the church to join in giving thanks for answered prayer, keep a journal, hold seasons of thanksgiving around your family table. When you come together as a church, when we come together, Bring offerings of thanks with you to bring to the Lord in the service. Thanking God for what he has done fuels our praise of him for who he is. What God has done and what God is continuing to do to act, the ways he acts, whether you're talking on the scale of the entire universe, whether you're talking on the scale of the history of nations, whether you're talking on the scale of the people you know and around you, whether you're talking on the scale of your own individual and personal life. What God has done and what he continues to do helps make the truth of God more concrete to us. It's how we experience the truth of God. We ask in the fourth question of our shorter catechism, what is God? And the answer is God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's come together. Now that we've had all these abstract virtues named and worship God, I'm telling you, it's not sustainable and it doesn't work that way. You think about the virtues of God extolled in Scripture, it is always in the context of His great deeds and His mighty works, where His virtues are on display and they have been recognized. When you see God's justice in releasing Andrew and Irene, our thanksgiving to God for what he has done gives way then to praise for God and how just he is. When we witness God's answering our prayers to provide for needs for our family, when we had no idea how they could be met, some of you have kids headed to college. And you know you're not going to suddenly get a four-figure, five-figure, whatever it is, raise in your paycheck when the kids go to college, right? And you got a, you got a boatload of kids. What are you going to do about that? When you witness God's answer to prayer and providing for the needs of your family, when you had no idea how they could be met, that thanking of God for what he has done then gives way to praising God directly for who he is, for his great goodness to us. When God convicts us of sin so that you hate what you've loved and you can now resist it with all available means at your disposal. Your thanksgiving to God for what he has done for you gives way to praise for him who is truly holy because you felt his holiness. You were touched by his holiness. God's answers to our prayers Our ways, he touches us with himself. And as we thank him and reflect on what he has done for us, we are moved to praise him for who he is. So what have I taught? What are some takeaways from this amazing experience we shared together? If something is worth asking God repeatedly for, it is worth thanking him repeatedly for. To be urgent about that too. Thanksgiving delayed is Thanksgiving denied. We have to beware in gratitude. And the Lord calls each of you and me to be the psalmist over our own lives. And God's people said, Amen.